I am grateful to be here. Over there, if it, the government decides to put you in jail, that's it, you're done. Hello and welcome to Holding Heritage. This is a space to explore and have honest conversations around the Asian North American experience. We'll focus on Canadian refugee stories, family, heritage, and bridging generational gaps. My name is Holly. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to another episode of Holding Heritage. This episode is produced in collaboration with the Immigrant Welcome Center's Welcoming Communities Coalition and the Comox Valley Record newspaper, which are both based in the beautiful Comox Valley on Vancouver Island. The goal of this coming series of interviews aims to learn more about and amplify the voices of newcomers in the Comox Valley who own businesses and create jobs in the community. We chat with them about their stories, successes, and challenges starting and running their businesses in the Valley. The goal is to help dispel negative misconceptions about the impact of newcomers on the Canadian economy, to highlight diversity and underrepresented voices, and contribute to making our communities more welcoming for all. The Comox Valley Record is a popular and local news publication in the Valley, serving the community for over 35 years since 1986. The Welcoming Communities Coalition is a local immigration partnership with the goal of making our communities more welcoming for newcomers. If you'd like to learn more about them and explore their services, events, or programs, I've linked all of their information in the episode show notes that you can view, as always, at holdingheritage.com. In today's episode, we feature Juan Calero, owner and operator of HJ Landscaping in the Comox Valley. Juan was born and raised in Nicaragua. He left the country during his mid-20s around the historically significant Nicaraguan Revolution. Christine Salzman from the Welcoming Communities Coalition and I sat down with Juan one afternoon while he took a quick break from his super busy work schedule. Chatting with Juan reminded me a lot about chatting with many of my own family members. He shed light on some of the difficulties and struggles he recalls his home country going through during the revolution, which he even said himself seems to mirror many similarities to the Vietnam War prior to it. Upon meeting Juan, it's clear that he's been a hard worker all of his life. He's got a medium sort of build with a sort of airy, carefree, and humble aura around him. We started by asking about his life in Nicaragua. Um, where in Nicaragua are you from? We grew up in uh, called Chontale, Chontale, about 100, 200 kilometers from the capital city. Chantale is a department in Nicaragua, located in the central southwest of the country. It's notably known for their many hectares of cattle ranches, which produce over half of Nicaragua's dairy products, as well as a large majority of the country's apples. It's around 170 kilometers from the country's capital city, which is Managua. Juan grew up as the third eldest of six siblings, working on his family's carrot farm. I grew up in a farm. What did your family farm? Carrots. Oh, carrots. Yeah. Were you working on the family farm up until that point? Yeah, when I left my country, yes. It was quite hard to live because we have the same history like Vietnam. The war was not even belonged to my country. It was belonged between the Russia and the U.S. But because uh, USA say all the Spanish countries, all the Latin America is the backyard of the U.S. And anybody trying to go there, is, <laughs> there's a trouble. If one side go, there used to be the contrast. 
And then another in power was the Sandinist. What year was this? It was in the 85, 86, 87. How old were you? I was about 19, 20. In order to understand more about the complexities around this time period in Nicaragua that Juan is referring to requires a bit of background knowledge and history on what is commonly referred to as the Nicaraguan Revolution and the Contra War. Of course, there's so much more depth and substance to the history of the revolution and war, but for today's episode, I'm just going to give a very quick and brief overview of the situation from my understanding and research. If these historical happenings pique your interest, I encourage you to dive deeper yourself into more about it. So when we're talking about the Nicaraguan Revolution, we're referring to actually quite a long span of time. It went on for almost 30 years, beginning in the 1960s with rising opposition to the Somoza dictatorship a campaign spearheaded by a group called the Sandinista National Liberation Front, also referred to as the FSLN, which was a socialist political party in Nicaragua, and they eventually succeeded and overthrew the dictatorship in 1979. Following that, the FSLN began to govern Nicaragua. In comes a group called the Contras, which were a collection of counter-revolutionary rebel groups, backed and heavily funded by the U.S. They were in opposition to the FSLN, aka the Sandinistas, who were in large part backed by the Soviet Union. So then starts what is referred to as the Contra War. Nicaragua was essentially operating as a battleground in an intense proxy war between the U.S. and Soviet Union during the Cold War. The Contra War resulted in tens of thousands of deaths in Nicaragua, immense political turmoil, and of course a severely declining economy. And then it start you losing everything because you cannot use the line anymore. You can the you land risk was taken, but no was taken. But it's not occupied. They they know how to take it out from you. It will be like you own a house and they give you a big tax to pay. You say no, and you give up. And most the farmer they live there, they give up. They didn't want to pay the tax because the tax went too high. For any reason, they visit you in the night time or they go there, and they say they're going to stay there. No choice, they have to stay there. They have the gun. And then uh, everybody started moving from the farm. It, it was tough. Juan was around 19, 20 years old while Nicaragua was going through the thick of the Contra War. He also had a brother who worked for the government in Nicaragua at that time who unfortunately passed away. And even until this day, they don't know exactly what happened. Uh, my brother died, my sister, everybody's safe, but they most died. Sorry about your brother. Yeah. How old was he? He was like 25, 26. And then uh, I decided, that's it, I had to go. He worked for the government and somehow he died from the other side. Oh, during the Civil War? Yeah. They call it Civil War, but I know nothing to do with with Nicaragua because Nicaragua didn't have the money to support the war like that. Mm -hmm. The money coming from U.S. and the other money coming from Russia and the countries in the middle. All the time, the superpower find those little countries to fight war. It's like Vietnam, so they want Vietnam to fight China. During that dangerous time, working within politics or any sort of government position was risky. Juan told us that he was grateful that he was able to immigrate because the system in Nicaragua was a tough one to live within. And in many ways, it still is. The system is like, like Vietnam. You don't be involved in politics, you're okay. But if... He, I am grateful to be here 
because the system, you, at least if you do anything bad, you have a, the right to, to a hearing. Over there, if it, the government decides to put you in jail, that's it, you're done. In Vietnam, it's the same. When I left the country, I promised I'd never ba- go back. It was too hassle. They asked questions for everything. We asked Juan what his journey was like immigrating over to Canada and if it was a difficult process. Around the time that Juan left, the country was recruiting for the army, but luckily he was just outside of the age range for recruitment, which meant he was able to avoid enlistment. He then began his immigration and went to a number of different cities before he actually settled in Canada. Yeah, a little bit, because they want you to go to the army. There was a law you had to go. Oh, okay. It was like you had to go for two years. From 18 to, to 20, you had to go. I was a little older for that, and they left me alone because they wanted the young people. Was it hard to get out of the country and out of the... Salento, I was not that bad, because my sister worked with lawyers, and she knew how to do that. When Juan decided to leave Nicaragua, he left alongside one of his older sisters who, he says, worked closely with lawyers at the time and had helped both of them arrange their immigration. He recalls leaving Nicaragua, first heading to Mexico, then into the USA, specifically Houston, where he then decided to immigrate to Canada. Shortly after that, he arrived at his first Canadian destination, Saskatchewan, while his sister stayed in the U.S. I get my passport and then I, I flew to Mexico and from Mexico went to U.S., U.S. to Canada. Mexico to Houston yeah, yeah. to Saskatchewan. Yeah, to Saskatchewan. How long were you in Houston for? For about six months. And uh, another guy from Cuba told me, you want to go to Canada? I said, okay. So you had a friend from Cuba in Canada? No, he was working for something like this. System, oh, okay. Similar something. Yeah, so like an a, immigrant center yeah, in the in in U.S. and Houston. He said, oh. you want to go to Canada? I said, okay. I didn't even know nothing about Canada. And they said, where do you want to go? I said, I don't know. Okay, you go to Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you think of Saskatchewan when you landed there? It was okay first, but then it was too cold. <laughs> and where did you go after Saskatchewan? I went, moved to Calgary. Once Juan settled in Calgary, he then began working. He attended a college in Calgary and took a couple pruning courses, learning about how to properly prune trees under high-voltage power lines. He worked at that for around three years, where he began honing his future landscaping skills and experience. It was not really landscaping, but we started cutting, cutting the tree under the power line. So you started off cutting the trees under the power lines, and then yeah. you decided to move into landscaping? Yeah, then I decided to do my own. So when did you start your own company? I did in Calgary, and then I quit. And then I coming back in here, I said, uh, I was thinking I can just do oyster farm. But. After getting married and having children, he moved with his family to Vancouver, where he raised his three daughters. Once his daughters completed high school and moved into post-secondary, he visited the Comox Valley. He liked it and decided to move to pursue more potential work, this time working with shellfish in the oyster farming business. How did you end up in the valley? Uh, I come down here, visit them, I like, and um, I decided to become an oyster farmer, like the Vinovit. We bought it two leases from Deman Island, and uh, it's not that easy. It's hard work. How long did you work in the shellfish industry for? Um, maybe for two years, something, I decided to go back to landscape. After giving oyster farming a try, which ended up being a lot more laborious than he had anticipated, Juan decided to go back to his landscaping roots and started H.J. Landscaping in the Comox Valley. 
The oyster farming you have to start when you're younger. If you start hitting 50, almost you die. <laughs> it's too hard in your shoulder, too hard in your back, because the job is repetition, all the time repetition. The same thing you have to do all the time. Yeah. Like in escape, sometimes you do different. You have to put mulch, you have to do this. You go to a house, you're talking with people. It's different. Yeah. And I say, I had enough. What do you uh, like about landscaping? I like it to be outside because I, I cannot manage to be inside in the office. <laughs> what kind of um, landscaping jobs did you start with? Uh, planting trees and cutting trees. and Like pruning? Yeah, pruning. Um, are there any examples of your work around town that people can see? Like, yeah. What, what are some jobs that I guess you're proud of around town? You guys can see tourist center. It has been changing. Yeah, I do Crown Island. There is uh, from the Starbuck all the way back to the corner where they're selling wheat now. The whole shopping mall. Oh, the, the whole The whole plaza. Oh, the whole oh, plaza. Yeah. So the, the Crown Owl complex. Yeah. yeah. For those of you listening that aren't familiar with the Comox Valley, when you visit and are driving north along Highway 19, you'll exit onto the Comox Valley Parkway into town. And the Tourist Center, also known as the Vancouver Island Visitor Center, is located to your right. It's landmarked by a large snowbird jet monument, so the next time you drive by, hopefully it jogs your memory to check out Juan and his team's work. Also, Crown Isle is a large, almost 900-acre residential golf community and resort in the heart of the Comox Valley, specifically located in Courtney. It's a beautiful area, and the Crown Isle shopping plaza that Juan and his team also tend to is right nearby the same neighborhood with a number of big stores and shops. During our chat with Juan, he touched upon a topic that I found kind of interesting. He mentioned that he finds it a little bit challenging to hire younger, hardworking employees in his industry. He stated that, in his opinion, he notices a difference when it comes to our younger, emerging generations entering the workforce in regards to physical labor jobs and working hard in industries like landscaping. It's not easy. It's hard to get workers. Nobody want to work anymore. We, have, we are in a different generation now. We are it's not like the same before. Like when your dad came from Vietnam, they used to work hard. Not anymore. You get the young people now, like... I have a daughter like you, she's 27, and she just likes a computer. She doesn't like <laughs> I find this intriguing because I myself, and I'm sure some of you listening out there, have also heard the same sort of thing from your parents or older generations, especially being children of immigrants or refugees whose very survival when they arrived, and perhaps even now still, often is reliant on their physical bodies, their ability to put in long hours of exhausting labor to support themselves and their families. Nowadays, our generation and the ones that follow, especially here in North America, in many ways revolve around the internet and acquiring or aspiring to secure positions in industries like tech, marketing, creative and digital arts, human resources, psychology, etc. and so forth. So it sparks a few questions in my mind around these potential generational changes that are present and how they might go about evolving or affecting the way that our futures look and function. We also chatted with Juan a bit about how he feels living in the Comox Valley and what sort of personal experiences he's had starting HJ Landscaping, as well as any advice he might have for any other newcomers looking to start their own. Yeah, it's quiet. I like because you, you drive east in the road, no problem. Yeah. Like you go big city like Vietnam, holy cow. 
It is a miracle you cross the street from one side to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any advice for other newcomers coming to the valley? Mm, yeah. It's a good city to start, whatever. I think it's okay. People, I like the people here. If you work hard and learn anything, whatever you want to do, it's, you can do. I just do things in my own way. And if you do good service, I do one person and then, like I never add, put ad in the paper or nothing. When I started, I did it. But after that, they know me, they call me from everywhere. Oh. I started in Deman when I was go to work, I did a couple jobs, and then they, everybody's calling me. If you know how to do the job, it's easy. Like any job, if you know how to do the job, it's like drywall. And you say, okay, you call me and, and I know how to do drywall, I will tell you what to do. And there we have it, Christine and I's conversation with Juan Calero, owner and operator of HJ Landscaping in the Comox Valley. One thing that really resonated throughout talking with Juan was his incredibly forward and get it done type of attitude. Just like he mentioned, as long as you work hard, go for it, play to your strengths and build upon things that you know you're good at or are interested in elevating and learning more about, then you can definitely be successful. Starting and consistently doing or persevering are the most simultaneously challenging and important things to keep in mind when pursuing your entrepreneurial endeavors. Again, thank you to both the Comox Valley Record and Immigrant Welcome Center's Welcoming Communities Coalition for partnering with me for this Newcomer Entrepreneur series of interviews. If you are local to the Comox Valley, be sure to pick up the Record newspaper or head to their website to read the accompanying article as well. And as always, head to holdingheritage.com to see today's episode show notes. Make sure to tune in next week again for another entrepreneurial interview featured in this series. As always, I'll meet you back here again very, very soon. Bye! Intro and outro music by Blue Wednesday. Be sure to check him out. He's amazing. And as always, Holding Heritage is proudly created, produced, and geographically based on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded lands of the Tsleil-Waututh and Comox nations of the Coast Salish peoples.